Hello and welcome to the January 4th, 2011 Game and Player Podcast. This episode doesn't matter when you're playing a video game to know what's hiding behind that corner. With the Blu-ray release of Scott Pilgrim, just how much have video games influenced modern culture? And the point of video games was to make people interact socially, right? Well, what happens when that's a problem? I'm Michael Ubaldi. I'm going to talk about that with James Day, Heather Richtmeyer, and Wes Shockley. So a couple of weeks ago, I got an email, it was from Electronic Arts, and it uh, advertised the demo of Dead Space 2, and the advertisement worked just as Electronic Arts would have wanted it. Within a couple of hours, I was downloading the, the demo, and I was playing the game. I played the original Dead Space, it was released in October of 2008, I, I kind of liked it, it was interesting. As I wrote in my, my short review of the demo, there's a certain proclivity we have for uh, survival horror, especially those that are patterned after Alien, uh, Ridley Scott's 1979 uh, uh, horror flick, which has been reproduced ad nauseum over the years in sequels and, and other uh, uh, similar genres. There's just something about uh, being the only guy and uh, watching your compatriots being uh, slaughtered one by one as these monsters leap out of the shadows. The problem is, is that Dead Space, the original, was released one month before Valve's Left for Dead, and Valve Corporation, I argue, revolutionized survival horror through use of the AI director, which is kind of a, uh, an AI construct which makes the uh, placement and the spawning of enemies and other things, uh, if not random, unpredictable. And especially in a game where your enemy is this confused, unpredictable mass of, of feral creatures, I feel that uh, scripted gameplay just doesn't cut it anymore. And that affected my appreciation of the demo. I am not looking too much forward to Dead Space 2, but now... By the same token, there are games like uh, Halo Combat Evolved and Half-Life 2 that I'll play over and over again. They're highly scripted, and it doesn't bother me. So I guess the question is, with greater technology, we are able to have more autonomous uh, uh, enemies or NPCs that uh, there's, there's emergent behavior. We don't always uh, know what's coming. So are there times when a shooting gallery is appropriate and a world that seems to operate on its own is better? Well, I think um, in the broader space of gaming, there, there's space for, uh, for, for both schools of thought, really. I mean, you, you take something like the, I mean, this is outside of horror, but in, but with Call of Duty and the Uncharted series, those are extremely uh, heavily scripted beforehand. But because everything's so narrow and focused, and uh, they limit themselves in that way, they're allowed to have um, these huge uh, kind of Hollywood almost moments and set pieces that uh, games like Halo can't quite match. Um, I mean, that that seems to be the main benefit of. Uh, that I can see from being scripted in the way that the Dead Space games are. So would you say that kind of like a great moment in a movie, a great scene, there are experiences that you want to relive simply because they're so enjoyable? Yeah, and I th like you were saying, it, it, it is when you do make that comparison, I've never played Uncharted 2 
over again, even though it was a thoroughly enjoyable experience and many people's game of the year for, I think, last year when it came out. It's kind of like a great Hollywood action film. You, you experience it once and there's not really any uh, appeal to seeing it again. Um, so maybe that's what they're doing with the Dead Space games. I mean, I finished uh, Dead Space 1 and uh, was, was completely satisfied. I didn't want to go back and do any of the extra stuff or get the achievements and things like that because, yeah, it was just fantastic from beginning to end. And I was scared as all hell by the, the very end and uh, that might have had something to do with me not wanting to go back again. But, yeah, it was just it was a great... Uh, moment from beginning to end and uh, games like Halo strive for more replayability like with multiplayer and things like that even though Dead Space 2 does now have a or will have a Dead Space uh, not Dead Space Left 4 Dead style multiplayer from what I've been hearing right where you play the good guys and you can also play the bad guys yeah the uh, the, the necromorphs I think j- just to clarify my, my problem it was I think maybe the, the pat nature of the encounters. I go into this dimly lit industrial site. It's, it's this space station and the room is empty. All right. Of course I'm expecting perhaps something in the room and there's nothing. So I go through a, uh, uh, a corridor into another room. I think it's identical. There's nothing in that one. So I enter a third room and of course there is the first enemy and it tries to kill me. So I go into another room and I think there are two and then the entire room fills with these monsters. Now, I suppose because I hadn't experienced that particular uh, confrontation before, there was some challenge and perhaps some surprise, but I just wonder if that that kind of uh, uh, predictability um, is is something that you could that you could rely on for this particular genre. Um, and, and going to Left 4 Dead, for, for an example, um, in, in a lot of shooters, you can take advantage of the fact that the, the computer, the enemy, doesn't adapt and say, if things get a little bit too rough for you, if there's a very difficult uh, uh, section, sometimes you can take advantage of choke points, rely on the monsters uh, sort of dumbly advancing on you. And uh, you know, stand in a hallway and and blast them as they as they come through. Well, I remember trying that in Left 4 Dead. I think with a, a group of four people. And what happened? Well, the area that we had cleared, which again is a uh, an artifact of first person shooters. You move through, and once the monsters are dead, well, hell, they'll, they're dead. They're not going to uh, uh, spawn anymore. Well, from behind us came a flood of zombies and killed us. And we realized that there was no way that we could hunker down and and find this this little uh, uh, safe spot and outwit the game. Well, I, th- I think that's because of the the geniusness of the AI director in Left 4 Dead. Um, I think what you're what what kind of I think needs to be brought to attention with this is that while Dead Space uh, Two is coming out and it will have multiplayer. Its main focus is single player, whereas Left 4 Dead is totally about the multiplayer. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, it has to be spontaneous. It has to keep four people interested uh, and thinking on their feet all the time. Uh, and a single player game game is designed to take you through a story, a movie script, so to speak. Um, and I think a lot of those games that you do like to go back and play is because the story was so good, you want to relive the moments. But, 
And I, I just kind of felt the need to bring that up. You know, Left 4 Dead is a multiplayer game, and that's what makes it unique. Um, I think there's still going to be room for the for the scripted gameplay because some people uh, they just they want a story. They want to like live uh, in a movie. Mm-hmm. If that you know. Yeah, that, that's that not, sense. It's not yeah. a bad counterpoint, Wes, because as I was playing, I was somewhat intrigued in this this aide, this ally. Uh, I can't remember what her name was. Diane or something. It started with a D. It was a woman with a very authentic uh, British accent, actually. Uh, it's another one of my pet peeves. With with all these people on this <laughs> island with, with these wonderful accents, why do game developers choose Americans who, who have these uh, 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 spotty, unconfident accents? But it was interesting. Who was she? Why was she helping uh, Isaac out? Uh, you know, wh- wh- Why were they cut off? Was she going to uh, help him through the end? That kind of thing. And that was uh, why I, I did enjoy uh, Dead Space. I, I, even though I don't really crave that kind of stuff, uh, I did find it a little overly gory i did want to see what uh, what happened yeah you know i give them prompts though. i mean they they tried to kick out a survival horror game that was actually uh, a horror game you know like in my opinion resident evil hasn't been scary since resident evil 2 so yeah. <laughs> you know they, they, they kind of it's kind of they've evolved into to action games whereas you know back in the day i mean they really were uh, games where you, you had to uh, solve a plot and uh, solve puzzles to get to the next area and and that that was what was innovative back then and now it's um it's not so i mean i give them prompts at least for trying to make a game that was scary mm-hmm. heather you have anything to say uh i would have to say that part of your problem seems to be not so much that it's a linear story but that it's kind of predictable mm. just the way it's set up because you could have a linear story and have it certainly still be frightening and have and hopefully frightening beyond the, oh, hi, a monster just jumped out at me out of the darkness level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, a, an interest I've had for some, for some time. I think we accept, say, spawn points and patrols, very recognizable uh, basic functions of AI. Um, and we think, okay, once I aggro or activate this monster, he's going to attack me. But what happens when... The, the the monster doesn't immediately attack you, but you know it's there, and it knows you're there, and it will attack at a time of its choosing, not unlike another player. I mean, that that is one of the, the, the more interesting facets of player versus player, because you, you don't know what, what that other person has up his sleeve. He could uh, be doing a feint, he could be trying to, to uh, uh, just uh, lull you into complacency, and then strike at a time of his choosing. Whereas sometimes you're, you're conditioned. I see the enemy. Now it's time for the enemy to attack me. The, 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 the computer enemy is going to do everything it can to kill me until I kill it. And then I move on to the next one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. With players, I mean, you, they might be watching you to evaluate how much of a threat you are. There's a whole bunch of other factors. Now I would say too, that all single player games aren't necessarily as, linear either as opposed to multiplayer it certainly depends on the game i was excited over skyrim just because of how not linear the elder scrolls ones can be exactly gigantic game and there's there's enough to keep somebody occupied for two years if not more people still play daggerfall so yeah 
That's yeah, no, that that's that's impressive, and uh, that actually does uh, bring on our next topic, which is the, uh, the the enduring nature of our video gaming experiences. James, tell us about Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, so a film that uh, many gamers have uh, hopefully been excited for in the past year was uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, a- a film brought to you by the director uh, of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, Edgar Wright, um, is based on a series of uh, comics, uh, which ostensibly feature a kind of video game reality, and uh, as such, feature many video game references. Um, it recently came out on Blu-ray and home video here in the UK, and I just uh, it made me think that. If uh, Hollywood films are now being based on um, video games and are heavily influenced by video games, what does that say to us uh, in in regards to society and how they uh, now see video games and video game culture? Um, The film was uh, pretty well received among critics. Uh, It currently is an 81% fresh rating on... um, RottenTomatoes.com. Um, it, it didn't make as much money as they hoped at the, the box offices. But is that the same site as Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, tomato, tomato. <laughs> you know. Let's call um, the whole thing off. Yeah, let's call it all off now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it came. It, it was. Uh, any of you guys familiar with Edgar Wright uh, and uh, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, those films? Yeah, I'm familiar with with Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, he he basically started off as Quite a small-time British director. He also uh, directed uh, one of the... T- I think it was Spaced, uh, also with uh, Simon Pegg, who he'd worked with with uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz later on. And this was like his first kind of really big-budget film, um, filmed mostly in uh, Toronto, which is where the film and with the books it's based on a set. Um, and so it came a little under underwhelmingly in the box office. So some people were kind of saying, you know, it, maybe it was too nerdy, too niche, uh, too aimed at gamers to, you know, appeal to the mainstream. Um, so there's really two ways of thought you can think about it. I mean, this, to me, it's uh, one of my favorite films of the last year. Um, brilliantly well made. Uh, so, you know, you could say the film was great, but it might not have resonated with the, the mainstream. Um, does that strike you guys as being a you know a, a good indicator of where games are in uh, today's society at all i'm thinking it's possible i know a lot of people i know were very excited and very interested in the movie but most of them are already involved in gaming and involved in D and table t- other tabletop role playing and so on I can't speak for the appeal it would have for people outside of that. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think if it's a strong enough movie and the references aren't too uh, contained within it, that, mm. you know, like, like any kind of offhand reference, part of the audience enjoys it simply because it's funny, and the, the in-crowd especially enjoys it because they, they get the undertones, kind of like a, you know, a double entendre. Uh, then, then it'll, it'll, it'll work. But, uh, 
Yeah. Um, it, it's funny because if I understand this correctly, James, most of the references draw from NES culture. Yeah, they're, they're mostly retro games. Um, like a lot of the music in the movie is actually taken from uh, the Legend of Zelda yeah. games. Now, when you a, say retro, the, are you talking mm. retro NES or like retro, say, arcade going back to uh, the early 80s and the late 70s? Uh, not quite that retro. Probably late 80s, early 90s. The One of the main characters, he's, he's actually playing a DS, but he's playing the... Uh, Game Boy Advance port of Link to the Past, uh, the Zelda game for the Super Nintendo originally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so they, they use a lot of that music in uh, work that into the film. But like when action scenes happen, there's also a load of uh, kind of references to fighting games and things like that. It's mm-hmm. like Street Fighter mainly. So it's, yeah, it's, it's niche. It's not like modern games to that extent. So in a way, it's even more niche, I suppose. Um, and w- what's funny is I'd almost say that because of my age, and I think, too, because I was into PC gaming um, and uh, uh, never had an NES, uh, have never owned a Nintendo console, my first uh, console was the, uh, the original Xbox, I would almost consider myself more of, of say, the if we're going to choose an, uh, 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 a mainstream pop culture epoch, part of the Star Wars generation, my first conscious memory being watching Empire Strikes Back, then I would consider myself, uh, say, part of the Nintendo generation. I, I'll i admit, I, I can't relate as much to, say, Zelda or, or Castlevania or any of that stuff. Chiptunes doesn't move me. Uh, all, all those little references, I understand them. I mean, I, I played the games at my friend's house, and, and I could tell you a fair amount uh, of the stuff. And let's say, to, to go back to my earlier example, um, if you guys have ever seen that little uh, uh, Flash video where um, uh, Bowser's minions complain that they can never kill Mario because they have all these little idiosyncrasies, and they finally decide to gang up on Mario and, 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 and do what they should... Uh, it's hilarious, you know, in part because I played the games and I understand. Okay, you know, the, the ghost uh, uh, looks away and or you know stops when you when you look at him and he starts moving when you look away. Uh, but it's also hilarious because the the script and the concept is funny. Uh, so again, I think universal appeal, I would say, is probably the most important. But if you can if you can channel some of that that niche uh, uh, content, the, uh, uh, the 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 essence of what it is, which which is uh, a specific appeal, then then you do have something powerful. Well, something else interesting about the film is that they kind of had two types of marketing for it. Um, there was separate trailers. One which kind of made the film look like a love story, which uh, I I hear from film critics was aimed at like female audiences and put in front of like films that uh, women <laughs> would go to and uh, a separate trailer that had more of the action in it and you know which were put in front of say like the expendables in theaters so sure that that was clever on their part and yeah when you look when you look at the box and things like that there's it's not blatantly video games there's not people you know in 8-bit and things like that 
on the cover, even though on the back there's actually a Scott Pilgrim one-up floating in the air. Um, I think that's really the only blatant reference there is. But, I mean, uh, a big part of the film was also uh, Scott's band is trying to basically uh, make something of themselves. And so, in a way, it's a, a rock film too because, you know, there's a great soundtrack as well. They got uh, Beck to do a lot of the original music for the, ga- uh, for the film. So it's almost a interesting. one of these kind of smaller crossover. rock kind of films. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it hits more than just video games. But to Mike and to Wes, who haven't actually seen the film, um, how just, just out of interest, how aware were you that about the film and that it pertained to games? Uh, I'm just kind of interested because, I mean, if, uh, you know, us as gamers were not all aware of it, you know, was the marketing that successful... Um, I'm wondering. Well, honestly, I think the marketing wasn't that successful because it wasn't until you brought this subject up that I, I knew the, about the video game references. You know, I've seen the trailers and I've, I've seen the comic books uh, in the comic book shops here uh, locally where I'm at. And so I was able to get at least that it was based on a comic book. Um, but I did not know about video game reference at all. So... I bet if I knew about that, there'd have been more desire to see it when it was released. But, you know, I guess I'll be picking up the DVD probably tomorrow. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, um, but as far as, uh, you know, the whole thing about, you know, pop culture, uh, you know, I've been gaming for a really long time um, in all forms. And uh, I, I've said this before to my friends. I find it great that I'm living in a time where the stuff that I did as a kid that I was chastised for is now pop culture. It's common. <laughs> yeah. and, Who has the last laugh? Uh, so, you know, um, I, I yeah, I'm getting a little bit of uh, sort of some justice on some uh, family members who didn't understand it, <laughs> and their kids are all into it. Mm. And I think nice. it's great. <laughs> I really yeah. think it's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You should sit them down yep. in front of Scott Pilgrim and say, can you hear all that music and see all this this action? This is all based on the games I was playing as a kid. And, you know, someone else, all these people who made the, the films and the books also thought it was relevant. And uh, you didn't believe me, but now look at this. <laughs> oh, exactly. Well, I intend to get it now. And because uh, my wife and I were, you know, we were Nintendo freaks uh, for a while. And she spent a lot of time as well as myself on Zelda. So uh, I think she'll enjoy it, even though she probably won't think she'll enjoy it at first. So I won't say anything and see what happens. Nice. <laughs> yeah. One thing on the marketing, of course. Yeah. I know if someone advertised it to me as a romance one, I wouldn't be that interested. You know, as I said earlier, people telling me that hey, it has you know Zelda Water Temple music is much more interesting to me than hey, it's a romance. Hmm. I think I think in that aspect, uh, being a gamer is kind of a a, a dimension of uh, uh, androgyny to marketers. They think they don't care whether you're a girl or a boy. If you're a gamer, then you're going to like that kind of content. Or they assume that female gamers are already used to identifying with uh, guys. True, are tomboys <laughs> by definition. Uh, it's, it's true. I guess the, the next step is when. Video games are taught in classrooms. You know, let's mm. let let's look at the lessons that Super Mario teaches us. Hmm. Uh, I've heard there are some classes in universities along those lines. Really, already in mm. existence. 
But um, any closing thoughts on Scott Pilgrim, Mike? Are you interested in actually seeing it now after uh, after this conversation? Uh, but possibly. I I don't know if we need to repeat how a uh, how much of a uh, an old curmudgeon I am. Uh, uh, just like a, <laughs> hey, like oh, a, you're not that old. You're not that curmudgeonly. I'm you're not wearing this shirt, Mike. This conversation right now. <laughs> True, that. but my soul is old. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, that's not a bad thing, Mike. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> so know. we say. I mean, I'm four. I'm 43. I'll just put it out there. I'm 43 <laughs> years old. I played Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I just I had a. a I played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, but I had it when it was a, a came in a white box with two brown booklets, uh, and wow. someone handed it to me when I was a kid and. Uh, I didn't really know what it was until high school when I got into involved with some guys that were playing it. So I didn't get, you know, I had it, I read it, I produced it, you know, um, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings was the Harry Potter of my day. Yeah. Uh, so I was really into the whole thing by the time I finally found some people who played. And so, yeah, I've been, you know, being, being an old soul is not a bad thing. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, I think it's great because I'm 43 uh, and everybody is doing the stuff that I did as a kid that you were like, oh, you do that? You're weird. You know? yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's like the people that said that, their kids are doing it. And I think it's hilarious. And so, Well, you know, you know? <laughs> let's, let's talk about that because there has been a turnaround and, and there is comeuppance. Sure. I think it's also a double-edged sword. And I'll, I'll give an example uh, of of how the the social acceptability and now the social networking among among gamers and in gaming can sometimes be uh, a similar hassle to having a social life. I uh, uh, embraced Cataclysm, the latest World of Warcraft expansion, uh, when it came out on uh, December seventh, and uh, played very much. Uh, I'm in a guild, and as part of the responsibility that I have. I was uh, uh, required, um, not really by anybody, but uh, just uh, common sense obligation, to level as quickly as possible and similarly, uh, swiftly, learn dungeons and get my character geared in the interests of being able to raid with guild members as soon as possible. Now, again, maybe this is because I've become old and I, I like to vary my time. Uh, uh, you know, it used to be when I, was a, when I was a kid, I'd spend hours on end uh, playing, playing video games. Uh, but when I'm, when I'm locked up in a room playing on a computer for a long time or a console, it, it starts to wear on me. And the, 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 the week, this, this whirlwind week of just blitzing through content and moving quickly and being very uh, pragmatic about it, even though uh, it was for long stretches of time, got me just a little down. It was, it was too much. The, the word uh, uh, that I have for it would be uh, surfeit, uh, something that, that is so plentiful, so abundant that it nauseates you. And I feel that now uh, that my character, my main character, is at a point where I can easily raid uh, and, and uh, be uh, useful for the level of content that my guild is being challenged with, uh, and I don't need to keep up with the Joneses, I don't need to get into every dungeon run that's going on, I don't need to keep grinding to get uh, materials or continue making uh, 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 gold or 
doing any of the uh, the reputation grinds. You, you you run quests and gain reputation so you can gain gear and other other benefits. I can come and go more or less as I please. It's a little bit more about checking in and at the office during regular hours rather than doing a 60 or 80 hour week. That's what it felt like. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it. And now that I have a little bit more control over that and that my, my obligations are not as uh, uh, overriding, I'm, I'm a happier person. What do you guys feel about that? It's certainly something that I've experienced. I've... With Cataclysm, I'm going to be helping to run a 10-man raid group. So I'm trying to get things prepared for that. And I was uh, working quite a bit for, before Christmas, so trying to balance that out was a little rough. Mm-hmm. And then I've had times where when I logged on to EVE, I felt obligated to perform a certain way or run things a certain way or do that, which is kind of off-putting. Yeah, uh, when I first started playing WoW, Back when that came out, I had a very similar experience to you, Mike, as I was uh, running a guild with my friends in. And uh, after a while, it just kind of got a bit too much, and I decided it just it just became too much like work, like you were saying. And I felt the, the best way to do it was to just uh, cut the cord on World of Warcraft. And I uh, haven't really gone back to MMO since then, since, because, you know, you kind of... Especially when with the subscription fee model, you feel like you have to play a certain amount a month to justify the, uh, the investment. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just decided that when a game becomes, you know, too much like work and not fun anymore, that, you know, it's probably not worth carrying on. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not limited to, to MMOs. I'm sure there's a certain amount yeah. of uh, keeping up appearances or being being one of the one of the gang or if you're in any kind of uh other multiplayer endeavor if you're expected to be there then sometimes you have to set uh, set schedules and you you've, you've got to meet engagements you've got to be there and uh that that takes away some uh control of what should be or what is assumed to be uh un- completely under your control which is your free time well it is relatively hard to just sporadically get the proper group of 10 people together to do something in the game as well. So there's some validity to having organization. Oh, sure. So there's a bit of a balance. And part of it for me with WoW is a a lot of my guildies are people who I've met in real life and who I've hung out with. I hung out with several of them at BlizzCon. So there's a little bit more of a desire and expectation to interact with them there as well. Mm Mm-hmm. How many hours do you reckon you clocked with Cataclysm so far, Mike, just out of interest? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I would actually say, though, it, it's, it's exponential in terms of how much I spent that first week compared to how much I've been spending uh, the, the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, mm. I mean, I, I would say the first two, three days, it was at least eight to ten hours. Uh, you know, spread, spread around a day. I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot to do. A lot of people had set things aside. Um, there was a lot to explore, but yeah, you, you, you do that. And next time, you know, next, next thing, you know, you've, you've clocked that. But uh, mm-hmm. again, to me, it was just a, a sense of almost, uh, captivity. This is, uh, it's quite an interesting topic, uh, uh, on BBC, uh, in, in this country a few weeks ago, there was a, 
a special investigation type program. I'm not sure what the the American equivalent is, but it's called Panorama. And uh, basically, every month they do they they claim to be like in, do some investigative journalism. And the topic was uh, video game addiction, uh, addiction being in inverted commas. Um, and what they focused in a lot on people playing MMOs and World of Warcraft. And since it was a mainstream production, um, it mainly came down on the, the negative side of, uh, yeah. of, of gaming. But something interesting they could have gone off on and, and to your topic is how much uh, is the, the commitment to players to games like World of Warcraft and online games, this social obligation type thing. Uh, they, did, they didn't really touch on that at all. They just kind of blames the, the the game's developers for putting in these mechanics that that keep players coming back for more right yeah crack code basically uh when i think or like the you know the the loot scale yeah exactly when ironically what it may be is that because games are becoming more of of a social construct um a, a part of one's one's uh, daily life that there is a uh, a necessity to it that that people people are expecting you people are depending on you and you have yeah. to be there and it's ironic right. that the, these shows like panorama are considering this this anti-social when you know it's actually a social obligation um yeah exactly quite interesting. yeah tell us what you think Wes. <laughs> well i think the problem is is that uh, we live in a society where you know the internet allows for a lot of quick instant <clears throat> Uh, gratification or response that that people forget that just because it's in the convenience of the home um, you know that other people have lives off of the computer or the or the console or the internet altogether and so I think that's part of it is that what that social thing is about that obligation well you got to be on well you got to be on um, you know to me, if the game feels like work, I take a break. That's it's a choice. You know, you have to take a break. You know, I I don't do a lot of the MMOs because for me, um, they feel too much like work sometimes. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know. So I don't do a lot of them. I mean, and the other reasons I think when the MMOs were first out, a lot of them were the the medieval fantasy, which I kind of got burnt out on mm. after a while. I'm the kind of person that. I'll play D&D really hard until I'm done with it. And then I'll move on to a different role-playing game or a different tabletop game. Mm-hmm. You know, once you've figured out all the nuances out of the game and you've learned nothing new or it presents nothing new, I get bored. So I have to switch to something else. Um, which is why I predominantly play mostly shooters online because even though the content is the same, the players that you're playing against don't play the same. Yeah. So that's what keeps me interested. Uh, I do play a few. I've been trying um, that uh, Global Agenda, and I think the only reason that keeps me interested is because it has shooter-type controls, um, even though it's an MMO. Would you say that you've encountered any kind of social obligation, any need to be on regularly when it comes to uh, shooters? Because I'm only only when you're playing competitively. <laughs> When you're in a league, 
uh, then it becomes an obligation because if you know if you're expected to show up for a match, you know you need to be there. Or if you're expecting to play in a match, you need to show up to practice. Mm-hmm. And so that's usually when the obligation stuff kicks in. Um, and so, but people forget, you know. I mean, you know, you have lives outside of the game, and so people, uh, players who are expecting your social obligation, forget that, and so they they take offense when they really shouldn't. I mean, you know. You know, you have life outside of this. You know, your car breaks down and you got to go take care of that or um, someone's sick in the hospital. I mean, you got to do those things and sometimes people just forget that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So, yeah, you know, to me, it's about finding the right group of people who kind of don't forget that, which is why I'm happy with who I'm playing with now on a regular basis because, you know, we don't take offense if we don't see somebody for three months. You know, it's, and it's more like, hey, you saw him in three months. You go, hey, how you doing? And you catch up, and and we live old times and that sort of thing. Sort of thing. So, uh, but I, I just think that's what it is. It's the the convenience of that that spontaneous response, and people expect it. You know, in the days of email, when you, someone didn't respond within five minutes, people would freak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think etiquette is three business days. Um. Are we going to mention Steam at all? Uh, I don't know. We could. Steam sales, we spend too much money. Yeah. <laughs> They're evil, the end. Oh, but the money you save. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but, well, well, part of it, uh, the problem is that <laughs> I've got Left 4 Dead 2 um, in my library sitting there for a few weeks since when it was on sale for like £7 or something like that. But I haven't once actually played it. Um, it's one of those games that I sort of you know, if I saw it cheap, I would buy it. But yeah, apparently I don't, you know, not that interested enough to play it <laughs> uh, as well as buy it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I got, that's a phenomenon that uh, seems to be afflicting quite a few people with these sales. Yeah. Oh, Left 4 Dead 2 is only seven bucks. <laughs> it's a fun game. Yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, like. As you're saying, it's so cheap, and then you're like, well, it's never going to be £7 ever again, and I might want to play it one day. But then you end <laughs> up with a million games in your Steam library that you never played and might not ever play. So You get nickel and dimes to death. And I have to say, <laughs> yeah. when I, I put on the uh, Dead Space 2 demo, which was on the order of 1.2 gigabytes, I think, I deleted that, and then I went through some some other games went through the contents of my Xbox 360 and it was just so cathartic to delete all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, just going through it. There, there, there are some things that I just can't touch. You, you cannot pay me to delete my oblivion saved games. I, I have, mm. I think I have dozens of them. <laughs> I may have up to a hundred. I just kept saving and saving and saving and they, and they take about half a, half a gig, I think um, of data, but, but it just, it's, it's, it carries such sentimental value to me that mm. I can't do it. And I'm sure some people are that way or more, more of a, a practical pack rat, uh, uh, sense in that they don't want to give up their, their library or they want to expand their library to include, uh, something that they got as a good deal that may come in handy, may be fun to play on some rainy day. I find it funny that you mentioned sentimental value because uh, I want to say at least fifty percent of my Steam purchases through the sale were, or through the sale were games that I've already owned on disc, but um, I bought them again on Steam because I couldn't get them to install properly on Windows Seven. 
so and you know to get them really cheap you know i mean i got like uh the whole deus ex package for like five bucks you know uh so i saved myself fifteen dollars you know if i had to buy like the full package at retail Mm -hmm. i think uh, Mm -hmm. so i mean that's what i spent a lot of my time doing it's just you know um games that i've played before uh sniper elite uh, I could never get that game to install properly since I went to Windows 7. And so someone suggested, you know, why don't you get a Steam copy? And I did, and it installed fine. No hiccups, no problems, no nothing. Um, so, I mean, that's what I did <laughs> pretty much. So, I mean, you know, just duplicated certain games that I have. And people uh, like uh, companies like Nintendo and Square are- and ex- experts at reselling your games that you already own, um, like through Nintendo through their virtual console, uh, and Square is kind of infamous for remaking the first four Final Fantasies over and over again for like, you know, the latest platform like PSP or DS or whatever. So, yeah, they must make a lot of money by reselling us the same things. Yep, yep, they do. You know, people buy them for nostalgic purposes, um, yeah. and then there's you know people who are into retro games. Um, but I, I predict in the future, though, everything will be digital download. I, I just see that in possibly another 15 to 20 years is all games will be digital download. They will uh, cut out the middleman, uh, so to speak. Uh, I, I just see it happening because I see digital download being more and more accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was on Steam from the beginning, so you can imagine, you know, I got like 100 20 something games on my list. Uh, wow. So it's just pretty bad. <laughs> but, and really, what know. they could do is to replace the collector's edition option, they could have an equivalent, which would be you, you buy rights to use the game, i.e., the, uh, the digital download, and then you sure. get the, the medals or the, the making of DVD or the, the little tchotchkes that you're going to put on your uh, your shelf um, in a package and they mail it to you. Um, yep. Mm. You know, or you could just stream the, the making of video or or get access to, uh, you know, some some download site to 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 put it on your uh, your computer so you can have it digitally. You don't need to keep it on a, a disc, which you may end up putting on your hard drive anyway. Some companies like Telltale Games, for example, already kind of do that. Um, if you go to buy any of their games, like the Sam Max games, uh, the new Back to the Future games, you you buy the whole season because uh, they come in episodes. Mm-hmm. But you, you buy that digitally, and the, the episodes are released to you when they become you know available online. But when they finish their run, you can actually... Uh, they will actually send you the disc and some other goodies in physical form as well. And you, that's included in the price you originally paid for. So that's quite a cool thing to do that some companies seem to be doing. It makes you wonder what's going to happen to the category of abandonware as time goes on. There might be some games that slip through the cracks, but... They're awesome, and I've known they've kept companies in business as well. Uh, the uh, don't know if you guys know Introversion Studios. They're indie uh, developer in uh, from the UK. They developed the um, the what's it called Darwinia games. Uh, they I forget the name Defcon, the the game that's vaguely based on uh, the 80s film War Games. Um, they're a steam a steam cell actually um, kept them in business because they were actually uh, losing money. 
um, not bringing in enough to keep uh, the development studio open, basically. And a, a Steam sale actually uh, pushed uh, sales for their products up enough that they didn't have to close. So Steam is also a, a force for good as well. Mm-hmm.